in Romans, the Apostle Paul is explaining about the place of the law and how we are as people uh, living before God, and, and then he points out our weaknesses. And in chapter 7, he does that in a particular way, in correction uh, to how the law functions in life. So Romans 7, beginning at verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but that I, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that the law is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Let us now turn to Luke chapter 18, and there read the verses 18 through 30. In that chapter, we find a discourse between the Lord Jesus and a rich ruler. Luke 18, beginning at verse 18. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. 
That's for the reading of God's word. Let us sing from hymn 11, the stanzas 8 and 9. Tenth commandment, as we find it explained in Lord's Day 44, which you will find on page 558 of the Book of Praise. Lord's Day 44, where we have the following questions and answers. What does the Tenth Commandment require of us? That not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of God's commandments should ever arise in our heart. Rather, with all our heart, we should always hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. But can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? No. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with earnest purpose, they do begin to live not only according to some, but to all the commandments of God. If in this life no one can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God have them preached so strictly? First, so that throughout our life we may more and more become aware of our sinful nature and therefore seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. Second, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach the goal of perfection. Thus far. After the sermon, let us sing from Psalm 101, the stanzas 1 and 2. 101, 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, a quick glance at commandments 6 through 10 can leave the impression that in the second half of the law, the importance of each commandment gets less. The order is do not kill, do not give, uh, commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false witness. And finally, the Lord concludes his covenant instruction with the command you shall not covet. Is this not going from a greater command to a lesser one? But let's not get fooled. The command against coveting is not a lesser command than the others. For you see, coveting deals with satisfying certain desires. We covet when we have a craving for something that others have and we would like to make our own, even though we have no claim to it. It is a desire that is rooted in jealousy and envy. And that makes coveting a serious wrongdoing. Now one would think that in our day and age when we have so much, coveting would be a thing of the past. But that is not the case. See, the truth is that greed and desire for more does not decrease as wealth increases. No, the thirst for more is not easily quenched. The craving for more or the craving for what belongs to others is insatiable. And this is what the Lord our God and Redeemer in Christ forbids. 
For you see, it is hard to avoid the sin of coveting because, in a way, it is second nature to all of us. It starts very young. Infants and toddlers usually want to play with the toy the other child has. And so, you see, the desire for what the other has is something that just lingers with all of us. And therefore, from these remarks, you will have gathered that the Tenth Commandment is not dealing with a lesser command. Neither is God's prohibition to covet an entirely new commandment. You see, upon closer scrutiny, we discover that it touches upon all the other commandments and demonstrates the closeness, unity of God's law. Above all, the Lord God shows us that what he wants most of us from us is our heart. He is not satisfied and happy with some outward deeds and appearances of obedience. No, he peers, he looks into our hearts and he peers into our hearts. And with the command, do not covet, God shows that we do not live up to the intent of the law unless with the heart we long for him. Unless we choose for him and his service, and until we seek and trust him with our whole heart, soul, and mind, and with all our strength. In other words, the Lord our God teaches that our thankfulness to him must be so great that we are ready and willing to dedicate ourselves completely to him. And the reason for this is so that we do not crave what others have, but that our greatest longing is for God himself with the desire to do what he requires of us. In other words, or in the words of our catechism, that not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of God's commands should ever arise in our hearts. And now, my brothers and sisters, it cannot be stressed too much that the focus of the Tenth Commandment falls on the condition of the heart. It taps into the most secret source of all our actions by dealing with the sinful condition of the heart. For we suffer from a heart defect. Do you know why? Well, it does so because all coveting and all misdirected desires separate us from the Lord Jesus and lead us to evil. Just check it out. Let me give a couple examples. Coveting leads to self-willed religiosity. Coveting leads to the denial of God as the only source of all good. Coveting defames his holy name and desecrates his holy day. Coveting leads to rebellion and revolution, to hatred and murder, to divorce and theft, to lying and false witness. And so then, with the commandment, Not to covet the Lord Jesus and the Lord our God probes our hearts. And when Martin Luther reflected on the 10th commandment, he came to the conclusion that this commandment brings us nothing but accusations. We stand condemned. Also, the Apostle Paul discussed this at one time. He did so with fear and trembling. We read from Romans 7. And in that chapter, he speaks about the meaning of the law. And he says that it is through the law that we learn to know sin. Now, sometimes people think, I can keep the law, as, for instance, the rich young ruler thought. But Paul says, think again. What about your desires? 
Can you control them? If the law says you shall not covet, it is because we so easily desire things that belong to others. And the reason for it is our sinful human nature. And so with that as introduction, my brothers and sisters, I bring to you God's word as the church confesses that we are living with a heart defect. And that brings us, first of all, nothing but accusations. And that can only be fixed by having a small beginning. So living with a heart defect, nothing but accusations, and only a small beginning. Now, coveting is like a powerful magnet that pulls us into a field to do and desire what we should not. And so Paul speaks about a dual law. The one is perfect, holy, the holy law of God. And the other is the law of sin, as he calls it, the law within me. And that law opposes God's law, prodding me to follow my own desires. And when Paul thinks of that law, then he calls himself a wretched man. But he doesn't stop there. After all, he has become a Christian. And therefore, he joyfully goes on to say, Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus. And how comforting these words are. For it is good to think about these words of Romans 7 when we read the Catechism explanation on the Tenth Commandment. For what the Catechism highlights is not flattering when it stresses that not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of God's commandments should ever arise in our hearts. That is quite a demand, don't you think? What we are saying in Lord's Day 44 is that it is not not enough when we do not commit a particular sin any longer. Now, God demands the complete elimination of sin from the heart and mind. Can you imagine? The very fact that coveting arises in our hearts is already against God's law. And who is sitting here who dares to state that he or she does not have such desires once in a while? Also for our covetous inclinations, God holds us accountable. And therefore this commandment makes us look at ourselves and it makes us reflect on the secret deep of the heart where hatred and envy and other desires are hidden, which time and again bubble to the surface. Even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of God's commandments condemns us for breaking the law. So let us keep that fixed in our mind, shall we? And firmly fixed. For the evil desires of our heart may be concealed from people, but they aren't concealed from God. Before him no creature is hidden. In Hebrews 4 verse 13 we read that Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we have to give an account. And so you will understand that we can't get away by saying, I have not stolen. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't committed adultery. For God will say, well, maybe you have not done the actual deed. But if the covetous thought was there 
then you are already stand condemned. But then we may also echo Paul's words, thanks be to God who delivered me from the body of death. In Christ we are a new creation and he prepares us for new obedience. It is God who by his grace teaches us his ways and leads us in paths of righteousness. But now this exclamation, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, that exclamation can also become a hollow chant if we do not seek to change our ways, especially since we know God's ways so well from Scripture. God hates sin. And therefore, as his children, we must learn to hate the sin our Father hates. And so we must learn to hate covetous desires as much as we must learn to hate the sins we commit. For whatever is sin is always and under all circumstances sin. Let us not have a false impression of that. What is sin for the older men and women is also sin for the young people. And what is sin for the communicant member is just as much a sin for someone who has not yet made public profession of his or her faith. And so sin is sin, whether one commits it in one's youth or in one's advanced age. And therefore, when the catechism explains that we should hate all sin with all our hearts, then we should not set a timetable that allows us some leeway. It isn't so that we can say, well, I'm going to change my way after public profession of faith. Or, I'm going to get serious about my life when I'm a bit older. No, God expects us to change as soon as we begin to understand right from wrong. Because knowing right from wrong also makes us realize what sin is and how it pulls us away from the Lord. And so as soon as we, be, as we come to understand that we also ought to hate sin from the heart because Sin places us on the slippery road to destruction. Sin is a deadly enemy. Don't play with it. It's like praying with fire. And one of the Proverbs asks, can you carry fire in your bosom and not get burned? Therefore, we must all learn to hate sin from our youth and learn to delight in doing what is right in God's eyes. Doing what is right requires obedience to his perfect will and an upright heart before God. And so when we hear this explanation of Lord's Day 44 again, especially the part that not even the slightest thought of a desire contrary to any of God's commandments should ever arise in our hearts, that we tend to shake our heads and say with people, uh, with uh, Luther in disbelief, this command brings us nothing but accusations. We stand condemned. Is that really what God requires of me in the 10th commandment? That's just impossible. But you see, there is the joy and comfort of being a Christian. And here the joy and comfort of being a Christian peeks through the clouds. True. I can't possibly keep the law, but I find my assurance in the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the shout of faith, therefore, is, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus. And you know, if you look closely at this Lord's Day, 
then you will also find those consoling words in this Lord's Day. For notice the catechism is a realistic confession. It echoes God's word that in this life, even the holiest people have only a small beginning of this required obedience. Men like Moses, who was a man of prayer for his people. Like Daniel, a man of prayer from the lion's den. Like Elijah, a man of prayer for drought and rain and for the display of God's greatness on Mount Carmel to the Baal worshippers. Everyone in this life falls short of the glory of God. And that brings us then to the second point of the sermon. We have a heart defect, but nothing, nonetheless, a small beginning of the obedience that God requires of us. Now, everyone falls short of the glory of God. And you might say, yeah, that's understandable. We live in a world of sin. But I do not say this so that we can think misery loves company. Neither may we take these words as a reason, something like, since I cannot keep God's commandments perfectly anyway, well, there's no use even trying. For the Lord Jesus never told us to go ahead and sin in the hope that he will forgive. He told us, enter through the narrow gate. And you know, the Lord Jesus is that gate. Whoever enters through him will be saved. You can read that in John 10, verse 9. In other words, we need to go to him and go to him daily. And also, in other words, we give it to, have to give it our best efforts. We need to work at it daily. Christians, therefore, are urged to watch their way of life and reflect upon it, excuse me, in light of Scripture. For do not be conformed to the world in which you live, Scripture says, but be transformed in the minds through the service of God. And then the comforting aspect of faith is this, that you and I, we do not have to earn our salvation. The Lord Jesus has already done that for us. And so follow him through whom we have the forgiveness of sins. That's the walk of the Christian. Follow Jesus. And as we follow him, the Lord Jesus expects us to fight against sin. You see, through his Holy Spirit, he equips us to do this. And it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can successfully fight against sin and our sinful inclinations. And now notice how the catechism refers to that. It refers to that as a small beginning of obedience. A small beginning. But it is, at least, a beginning from where we can learn to progress. And that start has its basis in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who did keep the commandments perfectly. And the state of perfection is not ours yet, but it is promised us in Christ Jesus. And so let's keep in mind, my brothers and sisters, that the Heidelberg Catechism here speaks about those who are converted to God. 
That's the question, right? Can those who are converted to God, etc. In other words, our confession speaks about people who have been renewed by Christ's blood and spirit. People who have been born anew. And the spirit is busy writing the law of God in our hearts. And he is developing within us the desire to keep God's law out of thankfulness for his grace in Christ Jesus. And so the question each one of us has to answer is. Am I giving the spirit the room to work within my heart so that he can develop that new beginning further so that it will take over in my life? How is my renewal of life a fact in what I do and do not do? And how is that renewal visible to others? Do I live in new obedience to God because I know myself to be redeemed by the perfect obedience and blood of Christ? For you see, Christ's perfect obedience paves the way for us to have a small beginning of that required obedience so that with resolve, we begin to live not only according to some, but according to all God's commandments. You see, that's what that expression with earnest purpose means. It is a spirit-driven resolve to change our actions and attitudes on the basis of Christ's work within us, And so it means that with a true and prayerful resolve, we make it our goal to obey all God's commandments. For you see, and never forget this, God has made a new beginning in us through the Holy Spirit based on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore we should understand that term, the holiest of people in a special way. We should not think about it as an elite group of people whose piety that you and I just cannot match. Now, the holiest of people are not the names of Moses and Daniel and Elijah. Now, the holiest men and women are those who, in the most faithful way possible, dedicate themselves to God. And so they are the people who take their salvation seriously who realize from how great a punishment God has freed us. And therefore, the category holiest is not looking to others, but it must include you, and it must include me, who want to live a life of thankfulness to God and in obedience to his law. For Paul gives us that perfect description of what this small beginning is like when he writes, not that I have already obtained it, Or have already been made perfect. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And so if there's one thing that the law of God makes perfectly clear is this. It makes us painfully aware of our shortcomings. That in the first place. But God's gracious aim with his law is to drive us to Christ. The law constantly points out that our only hope and refuge is in the Lord Jesus Christ and that we always need to trust and glory in his cross. And that is one reason why the Lord God has the Ten Commandments preached so strictly. For through the law we become conscious of our sinful nature. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. 
Paul writes in Romans 3, verse 20. And in his law, the Lord our God speaks to us directly and teaches us what we are like. Every Sunday morning, we hear the law read to us. And that is clear from what he, way he gave the commandments that he teaches us what we are like. For in most cases, the Lord is forbidding us to do certain things. And so we find the constant refrain in the command, you shall not. Yes, every Sunday morning when we hear the law read to us, we are coming face to face with a true picture of who we are. We have a true picture of a heart defect and how much repair it needs. And it teaches how terribly sinful we are. And the law also teaches us that we must seek forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. In other words, my brothers and sisters, the repeated preaching of God's covenant must lead us to Christ Jesus, the great physician. The great physician who gives us a heart transplant. The law of God points out time and again that we can't do it on our own. We need to turn to the cross of Christ to find forgiveness of sins and renewal of life outside of ourselves in Christ Jesus. Scripture tells us that he is our redemption. He is our sanctification, which shows itself in the daily renewal of life. And therefore, in the second place, the law is preached so that we keep on praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit. I see that preaching of God's law must bring us to the prayer for the renewing gift of the Holy Spirit, and in him for the daily renewal of our hearts and lives. And see, that true prayer for renewal of our lives is always with a view to a healing relationship with God. It is the prayer to be renewed after his image and to become more and more his children who do the Father's will in the Father's world. Don't forget, we live in a world of sin, but it's still our Father's world. And as Christians, we need to live in this world to do the Father's will. And that is what these holy men of prayer did. Remember Moses and Daniel and Elijah? Why did they pray that the way they did? Because their great desire was to serve God. And the question is, is that also your desire? We believe that God has his law preached so that our desires become like that of David in Psalm 40, where he says, I desire to do your will, O my God. And then notice what he says. Your law is within my heart. So the connection between doing the will of God and to know the law of God, to have it in your heart, that connection is airtight. And so our desire should be the prayer that God in Christ continues to repair our heart defect. And so we purpose fully for the service of him from the heart. And then we will also discover how true the saying is. All who in life God's will aspire will let go of every covetous desire. Amen.